Welcome everybody to our Kingdom Link podcast. We are so honored that you have chosen to join with us today. We have a great episode ready before you. Uh, I am so honored to have my father, Tim W. Gill, here with me as my co-host. Dad, why don't you just go ahead and greet everybody here at Kingdom Link. Thank you, David. It's great to be here today. We uh, appreciate this opportunity again to sit down at the t- uh, at the podcast table, and uh, we're just going to talk about some exciting things. Uh, we're blessed today to have a special guest with us. We're very thankful uh, that he is here, none other than uh, our good friend, evangelist, Dr. Joel Reveille. We're so glad that he's here today. I, I know, I know uh, uh, Brother Reveille from way back. Way uh, back. Way back. Um, he is from Memphis area originally, and uh, we're, my wife and I, uh, Sister Faith and I, went to Bible college his dad uh, was uh, one of our Bible instructors there, and uh, I want to tell you, I still remember he, did, he made such a big impact on our lives, loved his teaching, and uh, we're so delighted to have with us today uh, Dr. Joel Reveille, and uh, we want him to just come and just sit down and let's talk about the things of God. Welcome. Just greet greet our I'm audience. I'm glad to be here this afternoon, and I'm thankful for God's work in this region. Amen. We're so <clears throat> so honored to have you here with us. Uh, if you would, just for a moment, tell us a little bit about your story uh, of where you began. You, you have a doctorate, you have a PhD mm-hmm. in physics, uh, and uh, that, that meant you t- took a lot of time in school, went through school. But kind of tell us on how your educational journey led you to a spiritual journey? So I'll begin by saying, so I have a PhD in physics. I was in college for about 10 years, all told, four years at the University of Memphis and six years in Michigan. I know the stereotype for apostolics is when we attend university that oftentimes you see people's doctrine begin to wane. I had almost the opposite journey personally. When I went to college, I began to get closer to God, and here was the big difference. My freshman year, it was myself in a dorm, just me and God there at the University of Memphis, and I prayed. I wanted to learn about who God truly was for myself. I had heard the truth growing up, but now I was a man. I was Mm -hmm. by myself. And so I took a copy of the Bible and began to read in my freshman year. My freshman year of college was the first time I ever read the Bible through cover to cover in one year. Wow. And so as my friends were sinning or falling away doctrinally, many of them, I was reading in the Word of God and growing closer to God. So I see that and I think, as an apostolic, I should not be afraid to encourage the young people in the church to open the Bible for themselves and begin to read because the answers to many of our questions are right there in the Word of God. That is our most powerful defense. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not afraid to encourage somebody to read in the Word of God. That's awesome. Uh, when you, you went to Memphis, mm-hmm. you began your uh, your your. Secondary education. That's right. Through through the University of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, Double majored in mathematics and physics. Okay. It's four years. And at that time, if you would have met me back then, I would have told you that at that time, I was planning on becoming a scientist. I wanted a job in science research, that kind of thing. But parallel to that, there was a different kind of journey that God had me on. Mm. As I was both studying in my science textbooks... I was also reading in the Bible, and unbeknownst to me, God was training me for later years of work for the kingdom. So I would read in the Word of God every year in my first four years of college, my freshman year, sophomore, junior, and senior, I read the Bible through in a year. And every time... You, you think that was a, a key to dealing with the, the college experience, the university experience? Absolutely, because... As a person of faith, I believed in God, and I'm, I'm convinced that when a person has questions in college, they're not questions of whether they believe in God or not. They see things 
growing up, and they haven't quite seen the proof of them because they may not have opened the Bible for themselves. Seeing the proof of them, seeing where all this comes from. Okay, so for myself, when I was reading in the Old Testament, I saw many of the stories that I heard in Sunday school. But then when I arrived at the New Testament in the Gospels, I read the miracles of Jesus. In the book of Acts, I read the application of the words of Jesus. I read how the apostles did exactly what I saw the apostolic church do, and I saw the church in operation. I saw that Acts 2.38 was not the only mentioning of Jesus' name baptism. It was Acts chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 10, chapter 19. There were all these references to things I had heard so many times in the church house, and it reaffirmed the voice of the elders for me. Then seeing all the other components and pieces in the epistles, seeing directions, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, holding the standards, all of those components, they were there in the Bible for me to see. And so it reaffirmed the voices of my youth. Mm. Wow. So uh, what, what would you think is the biggest challenge facing young adults that are going into their universities? The secular culture around them. The drumbeat of hell, so to speak, is at any place of secular operation like a university. You have people who are like myself raised in a Christian household arriving at a place with almost zero morality for most of the week. So every day in Michigan when I would leave work to go to the bus stop, I had to walk by all the frat houses. Unspeakable things happened at those places. So I had to walk by all of that to go to the bus to get home every day for six years. So this type of appreciation, we have to have that understanding that young folks are seeing temptations that we won't even think of before they arrive there at the university. So we need to speak to them at the level of, we understand you're being tempted, that you have these lures in front of you, but when they come into the house of God, that is the oasis in the desert. Mm. And there's this unspoken truth that when I arrive at the house of God, I believe I'm in a place of peace where I'm not going to see all these arrows flying at me this way and that way. It's the island of calm in a sea of storm for that young man or young lady. Wow. So you you think it's vital then that they have a home church to go to. Absolutely. So uh, with that being the challenge, what advice do you have for a young leader that has decided to go to college, and how, how would he face that? I know you said going to church, but what are some other things that, that a young person can do to fight against this temptation, to go against the arrows and the storms that are coming against them? Be Abraham and not Lot. Be an active Christian, not a passive one. Abraham built altars. I don't see Lot ever build an altar. That personal relationship with God, it was crucial for me, opening the Bible, having my own prayer life, having my time with the Lord every day. I think that blessed me and helped keep me in the direction that God wanted me in for my life. Having that moment every single day, and it was an everyday experience, and that's necessary to have with the Lord, me and Him. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, you, you, you had a mapped out plan for your life. I did. You, uh, uh, you know, very driven. You have to be driven to, to go 10 years college and university. Uh, and so you, you had a vision and then God interrupted that. Talk us through how he spoke to you and changed your direction in, in your life. I'll begin a few years before I finished my degree. I was 19 years old. Every Sunday afternoon at Gray Road Church in Memphis, Tennessee, we had a men's Bible study at about 4 o'clock or 4.30 in the afternoon before evening service, and the men who had ministry callings would all attend. At that time, I had not yet even accepted a ministry calling, but I felt impressed to go. Mm-hmm. And so one day I was 19, and Bishop Johnson always attended. And he tapped me and said, Brother Joel... I want to talk to you after the meeting today. My first reaction was, oh no, what did I say? (laughs) What did I do being called in the pastor's office? He walks up to me and very kindly says, Brother Joel, would you like to take part in the ministry? And I thought about it. I said, no. (laughs) He said, no. And I said, no, Bishop, 
I don't think I do. (laughs) I had seen the sacrifices that the elders had given, how much time and energy they put into the ministry. So I knew it was an awesome responsibility. Yes. And I was afraid of it. Yeah. So like Moses, I ran. And uh, Brother Johnson told me his instant response was, that's okay, Brother Joel. I understand. Preaching is a tough business. He said, now, I had you on the docket to take care of the men's study next week. Can you take care of next week's men's Bible discussion? Yes, Pastor, whatever you need. He had me go four weeks in a row. (laughs) (laughs) Then he told me, you did really good, Brother Joel. I want you to take some of that material and present it before the church on Bible study night, on Tuesday night. It's only a Bible study. (laughs) Yes, Pastor, whatever you need. So I did that. And then uh, he had me take a few weeks later, he had me take the adult Sunday school class. And then from time to time, I would take a Tuesday here and there and preach when I was home from college. And a while later, I realized that, you know, I had said no, but that meant nothing. <laughs> he, was, he was sneaking me into the ministry. And, and I thank God for my pastor because he saw that I had not yet accepted. I hadn't seen yet. But he saw what God was doing, and he was helping me along until the day when I saw it. You know, I think that is a, a powerful point because uh, to, to, to our elders that are listening to this, our mentors that are listening to this, I think it's very important to start seeing in people what they can become in God. I think it's one of the responsibilities of a pastor or a leader to begin to see qualities in that person. Not that they call you, that it's it's a pastor calling, mm-hmm. but rather they see the God's hand that's on you. And knowing Bishop Johnson and the sensitive uh, heart that he had is that he can see things in you that you couldn't even see in yourself. Amen. And so right. I think sometimes in uh, connecting generational leaders, it, it, it is great, and, and thank the Lord that we're connected to people in our life that could see where we're going mm-hmm. and then do things like, uh, I already had you down to, uh, <laughs> to talk. Well, I also think that speaks of to the young men that you need to be mindful when your pastor asks you of something. Right. Because even though that men's group Bible study didn't seem like very much at the time, it was preparing you for your ministry and so sometimes as a young man, if our pastor has asked us to do something, we may think it's so minuscule that we deny it, when really we were denying a ministry that God is preparing us for. And so whenever your pastor calls upon you as a young man, we must be mindful. Maybe this is something that God is trying to do in my life through my right. pastor. Right. Amen. The last statement I ever made to Brother Johnson was in 2012, right after Christmas that year. In January, before I headed back to Michigan for, for college to finish up, I told him, Bishop, I really feel called in the ministry. He said, Brother Joel, I always knew you were called. Mm, Three wow. months later, he went on to his reward. Wow. That's, that's, an, that's a great legacy to hold on to. Mm-hmm. So you, you went on to the university feeling mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Feeling a tug. Feeling a tug. All the I nevers that I told God, God had me do. I used to tell people that I am not called to preach, mm. and then I accepted I'm called to preach. Then I said, you know what? I won't get a card with the organization. Then I joined the organization. Then I said, well, this will just be part-time. You know, I'll just help my pastor locally. I won't travel anywhere. Then I started traveling on the weekends. Then it became, (laughs) I won't do this full-time. Now I'm doing it full-time for the last six years. So all the I nevers God had me do. After a while, you stop saying I'll never (laughs) because you just say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm not going to box in what your plan is, yes. God. I will just accept what you have for me. Well, well, walk us through that moment where you were, okay, you have your PhD mm-hmm. and your, 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 your life is saying, I'm getting ready to go into uh, biological chemistry. Biological physics. Biological physics. Okay. That's right. You wanted to find, you wanted to find cures for diseases, for diseases and you're you got a job at where? St. Jude Children's Hospital. One of the number one mm. My most dream recognized job. 
dream job. Yes. I wanted to work for St. Jude. It was my goal when I finished the degree. It was a great place. I knew about the research they did in helping children. And that when I finished the Ph.D., by that point, I had already accepted that God had something for my life, something ministerial. But if you met me 10 years ago, I would have told you that my life plan was to be a scientist and to do research into cures and causes of diseases. I got the job at St. Jude, and I was working there. And I can recall this one day. I was six weeks into my job, and uh, I was ready to keep going in that job. Mm. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, I want to meet you and talk. And we met. I said, Dad, I don't know when exactly this is going to happen, but I laid the whole thing out. I feel called into the ministry, and he is not saying anything during all this. He's just watching and listening to me. And at the end, when I finish up, he says, Well, son, if God has called you into this, I'm not going to tell you no. He said, Follow the Holy Ghost. And uh, so much of my father's advice that helped me was him telling me to obey God, to follow the Holy Ghost. There's a verse my dad made me memorize as a teenager, and I have continued to quote it as a minister. Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. Thank God for my father. Thank God for Brother Johnson. They helped me be who I am today. Awesome. So you mentioned your father and Brother Johnson. Were there any other men in your life that were really influential in growing in your ministry? Because we know that leadership, it's something, it's a two-way street that, you know, that we could receive something from an older generation. That way we can give back in so many ways. Could you, is there anyone else in your life that really impacted your life? Absolutely. My bishop currently, Bishop Parent. When I arrived at the University of Michigan in 2007, I had heard Bishop Parent a few times come down to Memphis and preach for Brother Johnson in Memphis. And in one of those opportunities, he heard that I was in Michigan in college, and he told me, Brother Joel, come and see me when you're in Michigan sometime. So that following year, Brother Johnson was coming up to preach up there. That was the opportunity. So I went to go hear my pastor preach, and I met with the bishop. And uh, I had lunch with him later on that month. And from then on, several times in the year, I would meet, and he would just talk to me. And I can't tell you exact sequences that changed my life in the conversations, but it was the abundance of time spent with that elder, Bishop Parent. He taught me how to look at life as a minister. One of the things I learned from him was he doesn't get rattled. If you're around Bishop Parent very long, I've only seen him lose his cool once in 12 years. He just doesn't get rattled. He trusts God. Mm. And I watched him again and again go to the Bible foundationally for how he would answer any given issue. So whatever the answer would be, it was going to come from the Word of God. Yeah. And that was important. And seeing how he loved everybody... He's a bishop over a large apostolic church, but he loves every single saint, treating everybody the same, whether they're a preacher or a regular person in the church. Um, That's important for us all to have. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think it's it's, um, sometimes the things, sometimes it's the things that we catch more than the things we were taught. Yes. Uh, Watching, watching and learning from from those that are our uh, elders, our mm-hmm. leaders, those that we are uh, covered by and submitted to. Um, There's something I want to tell here from my days in Michigan, if you'll okay. allow me. Sure. During grad school, I had many f- friends who were Christians, and they are denominational Christians. They're good people. But around them, we had like weekly lunch where we'd have talk about the Bible and different beliefs mm-hmm. and share stories. And my friends were Christians in the hard sciences at Michigan. But what I quickly learned was other denominations of Christianity do not take the Bible literally. 
So in my undergraduate experience at Memphis, I read through the Bible over and over and over again. I had that word instilled in me and grew as a Christian, as a saint of God, and saw the affirmation of what I learned. In Michigan, being around so many other Christians who are denominational Christians, what I saw was the apostolic church among all the groups solely is the group that takes 100% of the Bible seriously. I never have to be afraid or ashamed of the Word of God as an apostolic. It will affirm the apostolic teachings. I'm not afraid to go to the Bible as my source of truth. But you'll hear this phrase. Uh, they'll call us fundamentalists, or they'll say that we take the Bible too seriously or too literally. Mm-hmm. Well, that is not an insult to me. That is a compliment. I do take the Bible literally and seriously. I, I don't shy away from problem passages. They take me into deeper understandings in the Word of God. Wow, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Speaking of, of of not shying away from problems and issues, we are living in a world today that one of the first things that is thrown up in the face of a Christian believer is the theory of 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 evolution. Yes. And they don't always, you know, proponents of of the theory don't always use it as a theory. Uh don't always call it a theory. They almost just, just say, say that's fact. what it is. It's, you know, this is this is this is what is in in your uh, study and research. And one thing I think that is a, a great uh, asset for you is that now in the kingdom ministry, your researching skills mm. continue, but rather into the they Word do. of God. And but but take us through some of the things that you see. Okay, I've had to confront. Evolution mm-hmm. with the word, what'd you get? I got that science backed up the word of God. I'll begin with evolution here. So evolution is a theory that says from random change, you get very complicated things like human beings, um, all of biological life. And here's the problem. You have to start with some starting point, right? How do you get that first cell, that first organism? Well, uh, uh, you don't really get an answer to that in Darwin's Origin of Species, do you? So that right there is a theological point. So Darwin was also a theologian, wasn't he, in point of Mm -hmm. fact, putting out some kind of dogma. So that hard evolutionary atheism is somewhat of a religious fundamentalism of a different form, isn't it? Yes. It requires unquestioned belief in a set of principles that you cannot quite prove scientifically. But taking just evolution by itself, the theory of things changing over time, all right? So you need mutations in DNA. You need changes in DNA to generate new things at the level of cells and tissues in the, in the body and animals. But do those changes amount to anything significant over time? Well, now we have quite a bit more scientific research in the last few generations and decades. We have powerful microscopes that can see very, very tiny things in cells. And the short answer is no. You get small changes over time can give you something like a llama versus a camel, little changes. So in the book of Genesis, there's this word that's used, uh, kind. Everything brings forth after its kind. That's Mm. about what you can get. You can get the the beaks of birds, finches, like on Galapagos Island, changing. But that bird, that finch, is still a finch. It is not an elephant. It is not another type of bird. It is still the same basic bird that it was with a bit different shape of one appendage. That's about the limit of change you get in biology. You can get human beings of different heights and different muscular structures. That's about the limit of change you can see through mutations in DNA. You don't get these species jumps. And so science, it just doesn't back up the theory of evolution. Enough time, you still get a monkey is a monkey and a human is a human. Mm. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. it, 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 you said something that that to me is is very very um, um, insightful into the culture today. Is that the theory of evolution and and those that that follow that 
It's their religion. Oh, absolutely. They they firmly believe. Now, now they'll argue against that because then that puts them in the box of having to prove it on a theological basis. But it's their religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, unquestioned dogmas taken without you being allowed to poke at it even a little bit. That is a dogma, not mm-hmm. a point of science. It's wow. interesting. Yeah. Wow. Let me tell you this point, too. So. We have powerful microscopes called electron microscopes. We can see the innards of cells. Okay, when Darwin would look at a cell in a microscope, he saw a white blob with a hard center, like a lollipop, okay? The hard center is the nucleus. He saw some little specks around there that he couldn't make out quite what they were, and that's about it. A cell was like a lollipop Mm -hmm. or a brick. Mm-hmm. Today we have powerful tools to see what all is inside of it. And here's what a cell actually is. A cell is as complicated as New York City. A cell has its own hall of records, the DNA in the nucleus. A cell <laughs> has its own power plant called the mitochondria. Okay? A cell has its own post office called the Golgi apparatus that ships things to this section and that section of the cell. Mm-hmm. It has its own highway system, all those microtubules along which things are shipped like highways inside a cell. A cell has its own manufacturing district called the endoplasmic reticulum. It has everything that a city has. It is incredibly complicated. There are machines that are the size of nanometers, a millionth of an inch in size, that read DNA, read that transcript blueprint, and reproduce and build what's in the transcript. And to believe in evolution, you have to believe that all of that, the first cell, came about just by happenstance. Wow. Goodness. And so wow. people don't believe in a god. <laughs> Yeah, but they believe in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it's dogma. It's it's, dogma. It, it, yeah. You know, uh, the scripture comes to mind. The psalmist said, "I am fearfully and wonderfully and wonderfully made." Wow. Is that when when God made man, created a man, He had all that in place, Goodness. and yet we wonder, can He take care of me today? You know, it's it's know. it's uh, what a, what a great God. One question that I have is because I know in your time with college and schooling, you had to become very studious. So when it comes to the Bible, what, what does it look like when you, when you study? Like when you just sit down and you, okay, okay I'm going to study. What is it that you do? There's prayer involved, first off. Um, I'll pray for that day. And uh, I may feel impressed to read certain passages and certain chapters. But then sometimes, okay, so... Certain sermons the Lord gave me through the years were paradoxes I came to in the Word of God. Like, well, what's this? And I began to pull the thread like a researcher. And the more I pulled the thread, there's a whole fabric that came out of that that, well, I didn't even know that was there. Wow. And so I'm not afraid, like I spoke, of problem verses. Problem verses become launching points of deeper understanding. Act 238 to a Trinitarian is a problem verse and a paradox. For us, it's the cornerstone of the salvation plan. So I don't shy away what to me in that second could be a problem passage. That is the new starting point of further understanding in the Word of God. Yeah. What, what are some of the problem passages that you think that uh, came to you that really clarified? You, you talk about sure. taking a problem passage and instead of it becoming a problem passage, it becomes a, a, uh, a help or clarity to you. What, what, what's, what's another one? You mentioned Acts 2.38 sure, to, sure. to someone else. What is one to you? To me, well, there was one passage I never heard anybody preach on when I was growing up that I encountered it very early on in my reading of Genesis. And it was the Dinah story. And to me, I read the story of Jacob's daughter, the sister of Judah and Simeon and Reuben and Levi. And my first reaction was, I never heard this in the church growing up. And the story was raw. It was messy. And so I saw people in the Bible who were used of God later later on, but they were not perfect. And I imagine people shied away from it because it manifested significant mm-hmm. imperfections in people who later on were pillars used of the Lord. But for me, it wasn't a problem because I saw, well, if God could work through these messy individuals, then God can work through me. 
So that problem passage, I supposed, became a passage that encouraged me. The Jonah story, too. You know, I preached about Jonah last night. Jonah, when Jonah messed up, God did not remove him as a prophet. God brought him back onto the path of being used of God. And uh, I'll tell you one more I'm a passage here. So there's a passage in the book of Matthew, in the Gospels. There's a passage of the genealogy of Jesus. But if you read closely, there are some names missing from that genealogy. And mm. to other believers, that becomes a problem because there are some names absent from that genealogy. I got three sermons out of it because to me, it became a launching point of deeper understanding. I didn't stop at the problem. I kept going, okay, why are they missing? What is their story? And from that study of why their names were absent from the genealogy, I got whole new uh, sections of understanding in the Old Testament about, okay, this is what God approves of. This is why he took their names out of the story. This is what they're doing. And it gave me a light into what's, what God desires into me personally. That's, wow. That's awesome. You know, so to me, what you're saying is that in, in college, studying DNA, yes, studying the cell, breaking all that down, you have to continue to ask questions. Yes. So when it comes to Scripture and studying out Scripture, I think it would be great advice, not only for a young minister, but for mm-hmm. all of us, is to never stop asking questions. As you know, I, I think that, that it's very important that we ask it within the context of the scripture itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Not not that we're just asking a random question, but what is it within the context? Because DNA cells mm-hmm. all have rules they have to abide by, I'm assuming, that Absolutely. they that they operate within if they're a rogue cell, they become cancerous. cancerous. Yes. And so it when it when to me it's interesting when you quit studying scripture within the confines of context and good hermeneutics then all of a sudden you can come become it becomes a rogue cell and not a operating cell let me keep talking about this about cancerous cells because cancers have very specific things that happen in one cancerous cell you get little tumors little one cell cancers all over the place in your body all the time DNA gets damaged by sunlight or something around you, chemicals, and the cell has its own machinery that repairs DNA. So in a tumorous cell, two things happen. One thing is the repair machinery gets broken. The internal machinery that repairs that cell that is damaged is broken beyond repair. So that cell is damaged and can't be fixed. Secondly, cells have a machinery that keeps that cell that is damaged from affecting the surrounding cells. That machinery gets broken too. So two components get broken. The repair machinery and the machinery that keeps it from reproducing and spreading around. Mm. Wow. Mm. Goodness. (laughs) I think one thing going back to studying is that I know for myself and my own personal, I felt I felt wrong for questioning the Bible. I felt wrong for asking questions when really it's very much the opposite, that God didn't quite give us all the information in one passage because he's created it so that we would research and that we would dig further. You know, and sometimes I would say, well, why is this so? And I would feel bad because I'm questioning the Bible. Well, he wanted me to so I could do dive deeper into it to research more and to learn it in for myself. And I think that... As a young man and myself, I was worried about that, but that's God's telling me not. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. I've done I've done that because I want you to know more about me. And, and, and David, I think that that is a very interesting moment for every person, especially a, a young minister. That is, I had that moment. I had to have that moment in my life where, uh, you know, raised by a a Bible teacher. Uh, raised by somebody that, um, you know, I've been around this all my life, but I still had to have that moment. Can I climb up on it and stand? Can can mm. I really stand on that particular teaching? Right. And uh, there was a few years in there that, that my world was rattled because I was going through that transition. But after personally diving in myself and doing exactly what we're talking about, not questioning scripture, but questioning how does that fit? Right. Why? How does this fit with that? How is it that 
Okay. And, 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 and the more you study, the more I've come to realize, and I've been blessed to study now for quite a few, most of my life now, uh, you pull a scripture in Genesis, and it pulls a thread in Revelation. Mm-hmm. I love it. And that's the way that God designed it. Praise God. I love, I love how you're approaching that, too. In that view, wouldn't false doctrines almost be considered unfinished questions? They stopped wow. halfway through the research. They wow. didn't keep going in the Word of God. Yeah. They got scared at what they were finding and were afraid of what the Bible yeah. just might say. That's, that's, that, 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 to me, goes to the question that uh, the very first question in Bible was the serpent questioning the word. Mm. Mm. The next question we find is, Adam, where are you? Mm. And the third question, I think, is probably the most powerful one, and that was, God said, who told you? Right. Goodness. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? Where did you learn that? And to me, I think that's where we are today with our our with our our ability to Google, mm. right? Ability to 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 information is now. We have so much information. We, in our hands. we have wow. access to so much information, but we never stop and say, "Oh, who told me that?" Three mm. questions: a question of deception, a question of location, and a yeah. question of identity. Yes. Wow. Yes. And so yeah, I, I wow. think I think I think when it comes to yes. the scripture, we need to also say. Who's saying this? Mm-hmm. I, I had a uh, an individual in my office some years ago, and um, I, I he he wanted me to believe and wanted to present his idea and concept of that Jesus was n- in no way had any deity. He was just man. He was only human. And so I said, I asked him back. I said, what what? Where did you get that? Where did you learn that? And who else believes that? And where's the revival of Revelation that backs it up? If you notice, the major movement of the 19th century and the Azusa Street and beyond brought in a, a revelation doctrine. Mm-hmm. Okay? It was revival connected to theology. And I think a lot of theology today, people are just going to take it at face value, but there's no move of God. There's no fruit that stands upon the tree. And so for this particular situation, I said, your doctrine lined you up with people like, and I named a couple groups that made him swallow. One of them is is Muslims. It lines you up with the Muslim theology, Mm -hmm. and it also lines you up with the uh, Jehovah's Witness theology. Wow. So it, it, it's not just information. Who told you that? There again, he stopped asking questions. He believed he had arrived at the answers. He stopped halfway through his period of questioning mm-hmm. because probably he was afraid of where he might go to. Yeah, it's, wow. it's it, you know, and I think it's very important. That's why in this context, generational leaders is that it's important who you're connected to mm-hmm. and what kind of life they have right. to back up their theology. Right. Amen. There's a lot of people that have great theology, but I don't want to necessarily follow after them because they don't have great character to back up their theology teaching. Does right. that make sense? It does. This is like the Midianites in the book of Genesis and book of Exodus. So the book of Exodus, the Midianites, um, uh, they too were children of Abraham. Midian was a son of Abraham. So in the book of Numbers, what made the Midianites attack Israel? Why were the Israelites going to war with Midian? What made Midian backslide? They mm. had a national priest named Jethro, Jethro the priest of Midian. Yeah. Well, it turns out when they attacked Midian, they found this guy in Midian named Balaam in Numbers 31 and 8. They were listening to Balaam and ignoring the voice of their Jethro. So in our lives, what would make somebody attack the people of God or distance themselves? They have gone away from the voice of Jethro, and they're listening to the voice of a Balaam. Wow. Hmm. That's dangerous. That is. That is. That is dangerous. Yes. So kind of going back to your schooling and uh, and your work that you did, what were some things that 
you learned then that you can now see tie into the Bible and into the things in the supernatural? Was there a specific thing that you're like, wow, that really coincides with the Spirit of God? View of time, I guess, because Einstein's theory of relativity, both the special and general theory of relativity, showed that time and space were not these absolute concepts. They had some stretchiness. Wait, wait a second. Time and space is not absolute concepts. Go, go, okay, time go and on. space. I just, I just want to stop and let, you know, you're saying things that some of us need to stop and just listen <laughs> yeah. for a minute, maybe hit the 10-second uh, rewind on our podcasting. But, okay. Time and go. space are not absolute <laughs> wow. concepts. All right. Time and space can bend and stretch. This is part of Einstein's theory of relativity, that time can, quote-unquote, dilate. It can stretch. All right. So we get more in physics today. We get the idea that time and space have some change to them. And that brings you more into a concept of an eternal view. So viewing things from the perspective of God, that time and space are absolute concepts, that God can speak something right now, it's going to happen 500 years from now, a prophetic statement. When you take an eternal view, that shouldn't shock me. Time and space are not quite absolute concepts. They have some bendiness and stretchiness to them, at least according to Einstein they do. Wow. Wow. You know, and I think that that... uh, that when you consider the very first scripture of Bible, in the beginning, time, God created the heaven, and the earth. space, and the earth, matter. And he exists in all three dimensions of time, mm-hmm. space, and matter. But he also exists in the dimension of eternity mm-hmm. because he can step into time, out of time, right. as he chooses. Absolutely. He's and a God that can fold himself down into eternity, but yet be outside of eternity in yeah. time and space. He is, he was, he is to come. Wow. Amen. Statement of eternity. Well, m- moving forward in your ministry, um, what do you think that this generation, and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly how, how old you are. I'm not, not looking for an answer necessarily, but... You're, 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 in my opinion, a very young man. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> I'm 35. In, 35, okay. <laughs> uh, having spent so many years in school, looking from, from your vantage point as a traveling minister all over the country, what is the major need for young ministers today mm. that you see? I am encouraged by what I see and oh, not man. discouraged. Good. I am very much uplifted by seeing young men who totally seek the face of God. They want to have a personal relationship with the Lord, and they want to delve deeper into the Word of God. And I guess I keep coming back to this theme of asking questions because when I was a teenager, my father encouraged me, don't be afraid to ask questions. Just be sure to get your answers from the Bible. So that has stuck with me through my teenage years, through my college years. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Just be sure to get your answers from the Word of God. And so never believe that you've totally 100% arrived where you want to be. Keep digging. Keep searching in the Word of God. Keep having a daily search. I am not married, but my friends who are married tell me that the longer you are, you know your spouse better and better. And if you have a good marriage, you're continually endeavoring to deepen that relationship. Mm-hmm. And this is part of it. In the same sense that I begin at kindergarten and end up 20 years later with a Ph.D., you want to have that in your relationship and in your relationship with God. You want to have that relationship grow from the goo-goo-ga-ga stage Mm -hmm. into the stage where you have that graduate degree, where you know some things, and you have this familiarity. Mm -hmm. You understand certain Mm -hmm. deep truths and concepts about Him. Amen. That's amazing. Well, 
we certainly have appreciated you being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. And we've in, enjoyed our conversations. Felt like we're just sitting around. The only thing that is missing is is some hamburgers and French fries. And, <laughs> Praise God. And and some a, a good meal. But we we've certainly uh, appreciate your time. And uh, 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 David, I think that that this generation's future is bright. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree uh, 100% with you. I do have one question uh, that I want to ask you. Uh, I know you said that you did some work for St. Jude's Hospital in the mm-hmm. research department. Uh, with that in mind, how what is your opinion and your thoughts on this world rapidly accepting the completely absurd idea on abortion? It is anti-science. The moment that lady's egg is fertilized and becomes that conceptus, that one single cell. It has its own unique DNA code. You are you, and you have a unique identity from the moment the egg is fertilized. So I believe that life begins at conception. Science backs up that at conception you receive a unique DNA code. And as someone who did his own thesis, my thesis was on DNA, physics of DNA. That's a personal belief. And I think science backs this up, that from the moment of conception, you are you. You are created in the image of God. And so to me, abortion is anti-science, and it's anti-Bible. Wow. What, 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 what would you say, since uh, we're kind of on some cultural issues right now related to science sure. and from your, your uh, education standpoint, uh, what, what would you say to someone who is and respectfully and and I don't want to in any way we're trying to make somebody feel bad, but somebody that is dealing with gender dysphoria and mm. is really s- drinking in the Kool-Aid of this world's cultural mindset that, you know, uh, even a child can decide right. whether they're a boy or girl. And uh, what, what does studying DNA teach you about gender? That there is an innate component to who you are. It's not just what you think. Your emotions can change from day to day. You can be happy and sad. Do not base permanent life choices on today's emotional condition. Mm. Look at the science. Look at the Bible. God created male and female from the day of creation. Male and female created he them. It's a creation principle. But if you're hesitating, if you're still learning about this from the Bible standpoint, let me also tell you to look at science because from the scientific standpoint, there are two combinations of chromosomes. There is XX for female and XY for male. So science backs up the biblical statement of two genders. Uh, do not let the drumbeat of today's modern culture um, make you drunk with a wrong concept. And to prove my point, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that all of space is filled with a liquid? That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. To believe that all of space is filled with a liquid. <coughs> but in the year 1890, all physicists who were serious scientists believed in a theory called the ether. They believed all of space was filled with an incompressible fluid called the ether. Mm-hmm. That sounds crazy. Until two guys did some experiments that they didn't appreciate at the time that disproved that theory. It made them go against the entire grain of what was believed, but it was scientifically true. There was no fluid out in space. But if you would have said that in the halls of science in 1890, you would have been ridiculed and cast out. But you would have been absolutely correct. So don't be afraid to be ridiculed and cast out. But you could be absolutely correct. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Well, I know that our culture today is really there's a battle between education and God, mm-hmm. but they're not uh, opponents mm-hmm. as far as as doing the science and and knowledge. Um, I just think that 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 when you go to the Bible and you really begin to study, you'll begin to see all the in- intricate things of a Creator a loving yes. creator, a God that's bigger than time, Amen. a God that's bigger than space, Amen. a God that's bigger than me. Mm-hmm. But yet he loves me enough that he's going to send forth his son 
God manifest in the flesh to pay the ultimate price so that I could be born again. And he loves me so much. And I think that the Bible is a redemption story. Absolutely. And so uh, so much appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Reveille. What an and, honor. Uh, yes, we certainly do appreciate that. And uh, I really um, enjoyed this today. Wow, what a great episode. We were so thankful to sit down with Dr. Joel Reveille, and we hope that you enjoyed uh, every bit of this interview and this conversation that we did. We were so thankful because in today's society, it, it's very neat and interesting to see that true science really does back up the Word of God and that real people can connect those two together. And his, his testimony and his life is just so interesting, and I love it. And I really enjoyed sitting down with him and just learning, really. Just yes. learning more about God, yeah. learning more about science, because with him... Uh, being at the level of education that he is, he brings such a great, fresh view that uh, we don't really get to see a whole lot. You know, today's today's culture really talks a lot about how that if you're a Christian, you know, you're part of the the uh, undesirables, mm-hmm. the uh, ones that are not very intellectual, people who don't know really uh, uh, anything about science or smarts, but the opposite is completely true, is that God uses people of great intellect to produce his case, and yet he also speaks through the simplest among us, because he said, if you want to come into the kingdom, you got to come like a little child. Right. You know, but when I begin to look, listen to his, his calling and coming out of, uh, you know, a a university setting, had the opportunity to make a, a, a lot of money, as it were, for for science. Mm-hmm. But yet he felt like God transitioned his, his whole life. Right. And he gave up that to gain the, the will of God. Right. It's such a great thing to see because it really does show that God calls everyone, that he calls all sorts. Yes, he does. And it's very neat and interesting to see that in real life. And I just really enjoyed this conversation that we had with Dr. Joel Reveille. Absolutely. Well, it's been great to be with you today on Kingdom Link uh, Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, be a part of it. We want you to uh, write a review. It will help us to better reach out to others. And uh, also, if you're on Facebook, go like our Facebook page, Kingdom Link, and uh, you'll find it under Kingdom Link Podcast. And we trust it'll be a blessing to you. And we look forward to the next time, every first and third Thursday of the month, Kingdom Link. Come and join us. We're at Kingdom Link. Leadership only matters if it is passed on. So why don't you pass it on today? Mm